podcast right and we talk to women on this podcast drink craft beer on this podcast really I should specify that um, and talk to women um, about their stories about what's going on in life just random just shoot the shit basic, mm-hmm. basic stuff I am super duper excited to talk to you one you are the first person that has an assistant that we <laughs> like you know, shout out so to Shannon this is you know this is like you're you're <laughs> You're somebody, you know. Oh, right? I don't know about like, that. You're, you're somebody, <laughs> so um, pretty excited to, um, to to talk to you. I, I know it's been like back and forth emails and cancellations and all kind of stuff. So it's been really tough for both of us to be on the right schedule. But we're finally here. Happy, excited about that. Um, can you introduce yourself? Um, brief introduction. Sure. Yeah, um, I'm Timothy. Timothy Ann Burnside, I'm native of Wisconsin. I've been in DC since 2003. And I have worked for the Smithsonian um, the entire time. Wow. Mm-hmm. So well, I was an intern at first, and then I... Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. So what brought you... So that's what brought you that's here? That's why I came it? here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. was for an unpaid internship at the American History Museum. Um, and from about 2003 to 2005, I did various internships and volunteer stuff. And then from that point on, I was either under contract... Or um, I was a trust employee, um, and I've been a federal employee since 2013, 14, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's go back to Wisconsin, because I had no idea you were from Wisconsin. Yes. I don't think I've ever met anyone from Wisconsin. Really? Really, like... Yeah, I don't think we I'm do exist. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I'm shocked. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, there's actually someone from Wisconsin. Yep. So um, we're part of Wisconsin, not like I know Wisconsin. Exactly. <laughs> like, you're not gonna know where it is. Um, I'm from Bayfield, Wisconsin, which is. Um, did you happen to see uh, photographs of the ice caves um, last winter and the winter before on Lake Superior? It was a big deal. They were very, they were gorgeous. Tens the of thousands last... of people drove up to see them. No. Okay. So that's my hometown is, is, um, part of, uh, the Apostle Islands National Lakeshore on Lake Superior. My hometown is about 400 people, 407 people, I think right now. Um, the neighboring reservation has, I think about 200 people. So, you know, my graduating class was 37 kids and the majority of them were, were Ojibwa. I was as the white girl, you know, in the minority. Um, but it's a beautiful community and a beautiful part of the state because you have, the only um, national parks on water with the Shawanigan. Yeah, I was going to say national anywhere that has an ice cave. I'm not entirely sure that I want to live there. We but also have an ice it road. You can you, when the, when in the wintertime the lake freezes enough where people actually drive. There's one island out of the Apostle Islands National Lakeshore where people live year round. Not quite a hundred year round residents. And when the lake freezes over, you can drive across. They actually and like people. plow the ice road oh, wow. with a snow plow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, to, to get across the ice. Wow, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. That's that pretty My scary. friends um, joke that I come from Narnia, uh, which is not entirely <laughs> right. uh, inaccurate. So. <laughs> so, what is it like in high school with a senior class of 37 people? Like, and in, well, it's a K through 12 school. Um, so, we had, you know, 
one music room that was the band and choir room for everybody. We had two libraries, you know, one gym, one cafeteria, like everything was shared throughout all the kids. And everybody is related for the most part, especially considering how close-knit the families are um, from the reservation. Um, so it was, you know, if you did one thing, you did everything, right? So not to whatever, but, you know, I was class president every year. I was student council president uh, okay. for two years. Launched. I was Start national society president for two You know, like, okay. there's, there's... But at the same time, the guys who were, like, the star basketball players were also an honors band. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and it wasn't like... We had out of the, what, average 30 to 40 kids per grade, we had a band that was almost 60 kids at one point. Wow. So, like, those kinds of things weren't exactly the same as they would be, you know, in pop culture references in terms of, like, being in band or whatever. Um, so that kind of stuff, like, made it really fun and really cool. But at the same time, like, we didn't have a football team. You know, we didn't have a lot of the things that we saw in pop culture on television mm-hmm. and movies that we could relate to. Like our homecoming was around basketball every year. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it was great in a lot of ways because we had no choice but to know each other very well, often to the point where way you, too much, right? yeah, you know, way too much about people. Um, but at the same time, it's a, it's a community where like, you know, if you skip school and went down to the grocery store Everyone, someone would like, be like, Yo, someone would call your mom yeah. at work, right? Yeah. And be like, hey, I saw, you know, whomever, like, yeah. or like if my sisters stole my car, which happened often, I have two younger sisters, and like drove it through town, someone would be like, what are you doing with your sister? Like, nobody has the same car right, in right, town. Right. Like, like it's clear, like if you're doing like, something you're not supposed to be doing. We know who you are, right? Right, like, yeah. right. And, and that was a weird thing when I moved away, it was like, I had to stop associating certain people with certain kinds of cars because, like, I only knew, like, one person who had a bright blue, you know, neon or whatever, like, in the whole community. Yeah, yeah. Wow. But so as a result, like, it's also um, very safe for, you know, like, Mm -hmm. because you can't get away with shit, you know. Clearly, right. And, um, like, crime is just, like, doesn't exist in in the way that it does, you know, in the world for for a lot of those reasons. small towns where, like, People don't lock their houses, yeah, you know, yeah, like, right, because, like, why? Like, what, yeah. the, somebody's going to see somebody doing something at all times. Um, and, you know, there there are very few moments um, growing up where there were, like, the need for police, you know, or, or whatever. And, and even in those moments, it was, like, everybody's volunteer, the volunteer fire department, you know, all these, like, it's, it's all rooted in the community. So. Okay. Um, it's very different from what, D.C. What band or what instrument did you play? Um, so I started playing oh, wait, piano I, when I was, I was four. About the guess, I was like, man, you look like you're like probably like a clarinet. Or oh something. God, no, no, not no. I started playing. No offense, clarinet players. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, I started playing piano when I was four years old. Um, my dad's a musician, and my mom was a singer as well. And so I, I mean, I started to read music when I learned to read. Right. Um, and so I was recruited, I guess, for um, band in junior high because the percussion studio was just a bunch of, you know, too cool for school guys who didn't want to read music and learn how to, like, actually tune, like, the timpani or anything. And, right. and or, God forbid, they play, like, any kind of mallet percussion where it involves reading notes. And so the band director was like, well, you can play piano. Why don't you try this out? Right. And so I did, and it turned out that I was really good at it and um 
continued doing that and then was actually recruited for the percussion studio in college, I went to Lawrence University in Appleton, Wisconsin, that has a conservatory of music. And so I was in the percussion studio there in, in college as well as um, studying uh, history and English. So I continued that. And it was, I, 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 I didn't focus on, you know, snare drum and stuff like that because I didn't need to in high school, in junior high and high school. And so I got to college and I continued like more of, um, like marimba, not percussion. Like right. So I'm a total novice, and like I don't know shit about band. Like, mm-hmm. so when you say percussion, is it like are you so playing like the percussion that you, section? Right. Like, so, so everything in the percussion section, you right. can Play. Right. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, but like I had, I, I always got like I just found a picture actually of of because if you're in band in my school that means you're in the pep band you're in the marching band you're right, in you know what I mean it's, it's yeah, you're yeah, in band the only thing was different was the jazz band and that's a smaller ensemble okay but so like for marching band I started playing in the marching band in in um, eighth grade because they didn't have anybody to play the glockenspiel like the bells so when you march um, when you're not I'm such a like a nerd. Um, when you march and you're not playing the song, the, the percussion section, the drums are playing like the cadence right. to keep the rhythm. Right. And oftentimes the person playing the bells or the glockenspiel will play, usually it's da 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 that thing. And so I didn't do that. I played a Sousa march that was really fast. Um, so I did that, you know, and because of the other guys, again, they couldn't, because playing a mount percussion instrument that looks like a piano keyboard, you need to read the music. Oh, right, right, right. You, you because it looks, it's literally music, set up like a, like a piano. Right. Right. And so they were like, yeah, we don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> so that's when I got to college, I kept playing um, primarily marimba and learned a lot of different techniques um, to play with four mallets. You know, you can do all kinds of crazy things. I would cheat a lot and um, transcribe, I'm using air quotes right now, um, piano songs for marimba. But my teacher at the time... He eventually figured it out, but he didn't know that I had, like, already played those in, like, right. junior high. So I cheated a lot in that regard, and eventually he he basically he busted me. I was playing a piece on the piano, and he was like, you just started learning that for me. And it's like, oh. I mean, but it's Whoops. like, yeah, you're not really cheating, cheating. No. Like, you know, so. Yeah. But, yeah, and then the percussion studio in college was, like, we studied um, music from Brazil and Cuba and Africa. So I did a lot of... Um, connecting the dots in terms of the sonic history of uh, music in America. Right, so music has obviously been in your, like it's in your DNA, right? Mm-hmm. And since you were four, you've been twirling around with pianos and all types of yeah. different instruments. And then now you just make the transition into college, right? Right, and what right. was college like? So in college, I um, went not knowing what I really wanted to do because I was I in mean, the, in the know you know, really I had no idea. clue, right. So I was like, I'm going to use major in English. Like I, I can, I like reading and I can write. And um, I didn't know what the music situation would be if I would end up doing a bachelor's of music or not um, versus a bachelor's of arts and like whatever. So I, I, I ended up uh, focusing on history and English because I just felt like my first semester freshman year was the same year, um, the same semester that this professor had started so like we like I, I then I went through like his entire progression of history mm-hmm. courses um and ended up kind of um focusing on race relations post-reconstruction in the United States um and made again like these kind of connections through music and so what I was studying in the conservatory that was rooted in Africa and Brazil and Cuba and making these cultural and sonic connections to 
um, the role of spirituals in the civil rights movement, right, for example, like or so. you know, or even just tracing the, the rhythmic bell patterns mm-hmm. and and seeing the where they come from and kind of putting that all together um, and focusing again more on this like more contemporary cultural history kind of angle, um, and it worked. And so I was able to I was uh, miraculously able to put together all of the things I was interested in and turn them into things I could study and then eventually turn them into a job. A job right? yeah. <laughs> like that's but one I, of the main reasons why I wanted to talk to you because it's like you're doing what I want to do. Like you're uh-huh. like ideally I would love to be working at the uh, at the museum like curating like expeditions that have like music like stuff that I grew up listening to loving and they're so important for, for our culture like so yeah I'm very happy to talk to you awesome you know, well thank hear you your story and hear how you you know where you started and, and how you got to where you are you know mm-hmm. um so and besides um besides the school school part like mm-hmm. how was college for you like like the social side um it was it was great I mean I was very much um, like I was in high school, I did a lot of things with a lot of different kinds of groups, which was weird for me because growing up, like there were like you had clicky, you know, situations or right. people who like hung with other people or whatever. But we couldn't afford to really not get along because there was so few of us. Yeah, right, it's like, you know, it wasn't like you know for prom. It wasn't like oh, this is the junior prom, and the senior prom. No, there was prom. Prom, Because if you just had, if you split it up, you'd have like ten people. Yeah, oh my god. You know, yeah. like if you didn't include the underclassmen, you would literally have just twelve like, people at your prom. Twelve people, like, yeah, at the prom. And nobody wants that. Yeah, nobody wants that. Um, yeah. Same thing for like the homecoming dances. That we could. It wasn't like this. Oh, you have to be asked by an upper class. No, just everybody, just yeah. show up, yeah. please. please. <laughs> We're doing all of this. Oh um, and so the idea that like the the students, for example, who were the con students, like music majors in the mm-hmm. conservatory, um, didn't really always hang with the college students, you know, or like the concept of like oh, I'm this fraternity or that sorority or these kind of like groupings, and for, and kind of seeing how those social constructs kind of play out in real life was mm-hmm. new for me, right. um, which I'm kind of just realizing now. Um, but I, because I existed in multiple spaces, because I was in the conservatories in the studio, and I had that crew of people. I had like friends that I knew from the English department and, and that kind of scene in terms right. of always in the same classes, and then and the history crew as well. And, and those were um, primarily upperclassmen, or not upperclassmen, but like I started when I was a freshman. The majority of the people who were in the same kind of progression of classes with me were a year above me. They actually thought I was in their class right. for a long time. Um, and you kind of, you know, study groups and whatever, and you just, or you're always in the same spaces. And so I had multiples of those and was able to kind of bounce in and out of them. They rarely came together. <laughs> and when that happened, it wasn't always. You weren't trying to like bring different yeah, groups together. No, no, you weren't trying no. to, like, you know, trying to keep everything separate. That, that would have, that would have been, it was awkward at times. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, to have friends who were like, the, the uh, party would happen on campus and like a certain group of friends would be the ones organizing the party but then a different group of friends were the ones playing music at the party and then the different group of friends you know would be the ones catering the party right. or and so it was just like but they were all they didn't actually hang out together they were right. just in the same place how big was the school how big is the college uh, my graduating class was like just shy of 400 okay so I think it's grown since then they built a new dorm and a new student center and they're fancy now when I think of Wisconsin, I think of 
I mean, obviously, Green Bay, you know, the Packers. Yep, I was but a half also an hour away. About, um, did you watch Making of a Murderer? Um, I have not watched it yet, almost because it takes place in, what, Kenosha? Or no, not Kenosha. It takes place nearby Appleton, um, where I went to school. It's so crazy. Yes. It's so crazy. But I haven't watched it because I know that once I start, I'll just like blow through the whole thing. Yeah, it's good though. You should check it out. It's definitely good. Yeah. No, Green Bay was only 30 minutes from, and I never went to a football game. Like we couldn't get in, you know, like all of it's, it's real. It's real. Wow. It, I mean, the city owns the town or the, the city owns the team. It owns the team, right. And so it's, it's, mm mm-hmm. It's hard to get into that stadium. So you mentioned being the only white girl. Well, not the only, but but yeah, definitely um, the majority of the kids in my class. I was just looking at a class picture last night, and you know, out of the thirty-seven of us, there were probably ten who were not native. Wow. So what is that like being the minority? It was it was normal for us, but at the same time, there are no others. Like, no other people. Either. Right, right, right. No black people, no Hispanic people, no any kind of diversity right, right. outside of those two groups. And the right. white people are, are, like, super white, European, Norwegian, you know, like, Scandinavian, what have you. So, it, it, I, I, I was very, it's interesting you bring that up, I was very aware of my whiteness early on. Um, just because, not because my friends were trying to exclude me, but because I wasn't always necessarily welcome at some events or some moments in their lives because it was more of a ceremonial or a spiritual, you know, thing. Um, and I, I also kind of, you know, there's, there was a a line between, you know, the town of Bayfield and the reservation and not everybody was necessarily welcome. Yeah. And I had, I had friends, you know, who did welcome me. And, um, so yeah, but it, it was, there, there's definitely, um, now as an adult, you know, looking back, I, I realize and recognize there was tension and there always has been. And, um, you know, I also grew up knowing, um, the history of the community, knowing the history of, of, um, that particular, you know, um, band, if you will, the, the Red Cliff Band of Lake Superior Chippewa and the journey that the Ojibwe people made to get to that place which was actually the, the Madeline Island space, um, which was their sacred destination. And then to get kicked off and put on a reservation because of the, you know, they basically the, the French fur traders established the fur trading company mm-hmm. there in like my hometown community. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. shit. Wow. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And then, um, you know, everybody got moved. And so we grew up learning that in my school. Mm-hmm. Like the, you could take the history of tribes in Wisconsin in high school. Right. You could study Ojibwe language. And a couple of, it was a big deal when I was in high school because a couple of colleges in the UW system accepted Ojibwe language for foreign credit, foreign language credit. So, um, you know, that was very much ingrained. Like we had a drum ceremony as part of our graduation. Like it's just part of life because it's so part of the cultural community right? in terms of like just what you do. So was there like a culture shock moving from that environment to coming here to D.C.? Um, yes and no. Um, it was a very gradual kind of progression to go from, you know, Bayfield to Appleton. I lived in London for a semester in college. So that was my first like big city experience, Mm -hmm. but I grew up spending a lot of time in Chicago and in Madison. Um, of course, Madison's not a huge city, but Chicago is, you know, a very, also very, um, uh, fraught city in Mm -hmm. terms of, of a lot of different, for a lot of different reasons. Um, 
so being aware of what was happening in those places, um, it wasn't necessarily a shock to come to DC. It was just to be living it full time right. as opposed to just experiencing it every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Was different. And I, when it was just, you know, little things like I moved here and I was like, I remember calling my sister and like, everybody is so mean. Nobody says hi. <laughs> I just, I walked on the sidewalk and nobody will, you know, because in, in the Midwest, it's like very different. Like you walk down the street and you like say, Hey, hi, you know, yeah. how you doing? Whatever. And like here, everyone's on, like head down. No. So busy. Like yeah. they can't be bothered to talk to you. And I'm like, why is everybody hate me? I'm from Charleston, South Carolina. So like, I know about like the small town. Like I'm used to just people being friendly. Right. Know? Right. But, yeah, there's like there's the and south and the people. Midwest have have similar yet very different kind of approaches to that kind of hospitality yeah. and, and just, you know, interaction with people that doesn't exist on the East Coast. I I wouldn't say that like it, people here are mean. It's just not, it's just a different Yeah, once I understood, right. I realized it had nothing to do with me. Right, right, right. Yeah, okay, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it really did it. Like, it's, okay, it's, it's, it's not, not me at all. It's just the way things are. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, you make it to DC, and what is it like when you first get here? Um, well, when I first moved here, um, I didn't have a job or a place to live. I didn't have a pay- I didn't have a paying job. And I didn't have an apartment or anything. Um, Living on the streets, toughing I'd it out. I had my car, um, and I had uh, some friends. I had a friend who was living in Bethesda, and so I could like crash and you know shower or whatever. But I kind of lived out of my car for two weeks. Like, oh, wow. okay. like I, in terms of like all my stuff was in the car. Yeah. And all my clothes, like everything, because her roommate was not interested in having me uh, stay wow. sick around. Um, and I didn't want to live in Bethesda either. So, I, but I eventually you got. Stay in the main streets. I was not. I was like, if I'm gonna move here, I'm gonna move here. Right. Like I'm gonna live in DC. Um, but I eventually got an apartment on 16th Street, and uh, I got a job because um, I, I started waiting tables when I was like 16. Okay. You know, and so that was easy. Um, Back before Jose Andres was a big name, he was just a local guy, and I worked at one of his restaurants. Um, and so I was doing like five days a week at the museum for the internship, and I was working six nights a week at the restaurant. How did you land an internship? You just found it online and was like, "Hey." Yeah, I, you know, I was actually living in Santa Fe, New Mexico, um, right after college, just because I had some relatives who were building a house there, and they were in Chicago. They moved there from Chicago. Okay. And so they were like, well, we're only here for a week out of the month. Can you, do you want to come and, you know, live yeah. while our, our new place is being built? And I was like, it's free? Yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm there. So yeah. I drove down, you know, drove down to Santa Fe. Um, and then. Oh, yeah, you drove to Santa Fe? Yeah. Yeah. From Wisconsin. Wow. Yeah. My old shit. little uh, Nissan 200SX. Wow. No air conditioning, no oh, power windows, no cruise control. Oh, mm-hmm. what? Mm-hmm. Lots of like my what what are they called? Um, the CD player. Yeah, but what's the cases? <laughs> CD, CD Logic or whatever. Oh, the oh case Case Logic. Yeah, Case, the case logic. logic of CDs. Yeah, they getting rid of. Got CDs. me you through. Saw, you saw CDs are like like Best Buy is going to stop selling uh-huh. CDs. Like I, I mean, I get it, but it's just like wow. Yeah, no, we're old. I'm is, old. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm old. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, so I wait real quick. What was in? What was in the seat? Like what? CDs everything. Were I've what, always what had trip? everything. That trip was a lot of. Um, Fuji's okay. stayed on repeat. Um, so this is 98, 99? This is, no, this is, this is, I graduated college in 2002. Oh, dang, okay. Yeah. yeah. Really old, okay, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So, 
Um, but I, but I would never like, I've never really been beholden to listening to like what everyone else would at the time, not in a snobby way, but just, I always like, I had like all of the Billie Holiday Decca recordings, you know, on CDs or like whatever. But that road trip, it was a lot of Lauryn Hill and Fuji's. Um, what was that? The Madonna record that, um, that has whatever that song. That, no, that has a song music on. That was just trying to be a cowboy. Oh, I had like four jams on that yeah, record yeah, yeah, that yeah, I really yeah. liked. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Like, um, yeah, 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 like four of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, and and because um, this is before podcasts, this is before like, you know, whatever. And my the idea of traveling cross cross country like that, and depending on the radio, not so great. No, um, but yeah, I, it was kind of. Uh, I, I tend to listen to the same thing, like, for a while, and then I'll, like, cycle through, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but then at the same time, like, every once in a while, I would just... Lots of... The Beatles are constant, were constant, like, nonstop. Like, I could, I could literally just listen to the whole White Album, like, four Front times in a row. Yeah. Like, yeah. it doesn't matter. Um, Joni Mitchell to Aretha Franklin. That was, that was, like... That was the, okay, I'm getting tired... And I need to sing really loudly. Right, right, right. To keep myself <laughs> to on keep the myself road. Up. Yeah, so yeah, let me yeah. put in like Aretha's early blues stuff, and like just belt it out. Vocally, you're amazing, aren't you? I can I'm I'm such a great singer. <laughs> I mean, I I used to sing, but not like that. Yeah. Not like that. I sang alto, and like I I, I blend well. <laughs> I can sing parts yeah. really well, but don't need to be with a spotlight. No. Yeah. So we can't start a R&B group, is what you're saying? Like, uh, we you, could. You can't be the lead. No, I, I, can, I can play any of the auxiliary percussion, put okay. me on the tambourine. So you can be like Devontae. Or whatever. <laughs> uh, like, Jodeci, I mean, you can be Devontae. It's funny. You know? A friend of mine just had a huge conversation about Jodeci. Um, yeah, no, yeah. yeah I'm, so you can be sure. Devontae. I could be. Sure. I, think I, I feel like I could be just, Jojo. I, I think I can. You got to have goals. Uh, yeah, you know, so... Um, <laughs> We should, we should get on that. Okay. All right. No. Um, so you're listening to the Fugees. You're driving down to New Mexico. Make it down to New Mexico, Santa Fe. It's hot as fuck. Man, yeah, right? but beautiful. Okay. Different kind of hot. Dry. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah, like yeah. super, super weird. Um, and then, yeah, I was, I was waiting tables. You know, making money, dating boys, hanging out, mm-hmm. and um, just applied for a bunch of shit all over the country. I was like, I can, this is the, I was like, this is the moment where I don't know what I'm going to do. I can do anything. anything. I just moved to Santa Fe for absolutely no (laughs) reason. I can go wherever. And so I, that's what I did. I just like, the internet was still kind of like a new thing, remember? Um, So I applied for like 10 different, just shit, just wherever. Right. But that sounded interesting. And I got a call from somebody at the Archive Center in American History, like a week before Thanksgiving. Um, and was like, hey, we'd love to, are you interested in this internship? We're really, you know, interested in you coming out. Um, because you can read music and you have a, a solid history background and we need help, you know, processing music collections. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah right, great. Yeah. When do I start? And he was like, January 3rd. I said, okay. So I stayed in Santa Fe until a couple days before Christmas. Mm-hmm. And drove back up to Wisconsin, and my whole family came down for Thanksgiving to Santa Fe, 
because it's my dad's brother. Then they all went back home, and then I drove up and then um, did a ex relatively extended road trip from because my hometown is all the way north in the state of Wisconsin. Right. Like it is a nine-hour drive to Milwaukee. Or, you know, like it is not maybe not nine, maybe like eight. But back then, oh my God. no, Wisconsin's a huge state. Really? Holy <laughs> yeah, I did not. Yeah. Wow. Driving to wow. Chicago was like is like a whole it's like a whole day like right. like like a twelve hour day right. if you you know need to stop. Um, and so I took my time. I stopped and saw friends in Madison, and I you know stopped here and stopped there, stopped in you know wherever. I drove through Chicago. It was out of the way, but you know I just kind of like made it a thing. And I arrived here on New Year's Eve, December thirty first. And had the worst New Year's Eve of my life, oh. which was fine. Um, Is that something you want to talk about? Oh, it's just because my friend was dating this awful person. Okay. And he got he was like he was like a Georgetown guy. Okay. This right. is not my scene. Yeah. yeah no offense yeah. to Georgetown people. I do not care to hang out in Georgetown all that much. Maybe because of this, because that was my first. That was my introduction. It was oh, like man. going yeah. out on New Year's Eve in Georgetown. And he got he he was the guy who threw up out of the moving car on the way Ooh. to her place. Ooh. You know, it was yeah. just like, a, yeah, and like, he was just the worst. Yeah. And he said something, like he was hitting on me in front of her, and like it was just, he was awful. Yeah. He was awful. Okay. And she was in completely oblivious to this at the time. She soon figured it out. Um, and then, yeah, then January 3rd, 2003, was my first day at the Smithsonian. Wow. Mm -hmm. wow. And then, and you've been there? Ever since. Ever since. Now, how did you get involved um, <clears throat> with the new African American Museum? Like, how did that? How did you will your that way progression? That? Yeah. So I had been at American History, um, and I had I did a bunch of projects there um, that I guess you know people remembered it and it caught the attention of some folks who eventually came to the new museum um, in the very early stages. Mm -hmm. And so when they were developing, um, an exhibition about the Apollo theater, um, this was like 2008, 2009, cause we opened it in April of 2010. Um, they needed someone to help out with that exhibition. So because I had, uh, collections management, archival, curatorial research, public programming, like all, all of, basically I, yeah. I, that was my whole thing is like, this is what I tell current interns. Like, I just said yes to every chance. Object installation, object handling, you know, like, whatever it was. I was right. like, yes, I'll do it because that's a skill set that I can, mm -hmm. you know. And it's also... And it paid off. It paid off. So I was the collection manager for the Apollo exhibition and also helped populate... Because we, uh, we had two curators for that show, and one was a guest curator who was a brilliant scholar but had never really done work in museums. Mm -hmm. And so I found his objects and worked on, um, you know, like helping him kind of figure out um, how to best populate these cases and have physical things represent the stories he was trying to tell mm -hmm. um, while being responsible for all of the 150 objects and, you know, like the, all of that. And the show was great. And it, um, it was the museum's first three-dimensional exhibition and uh, so it opened at American History and then toured the country um, for about two years. So it was in Detroit, it was in Atlanta, it was in California, it was all over the place. And Lonnie, our director, was, was basically like, all right, kid, you did great. You want a job? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, kind of like, I don't really understand because like, my stuff that I did for that show was the like, second half, like the more contemporary. Mm -hmm. So from like, you know, Earth, Wind, and Fire 
forward, I guess, in like the, the trajectory. Um, and he's like, I don't really understand everything that you're doing in terms of like what it means, but I know it's valuable and I need to learn. And this, it, this needs to be in the museum. And so then I started working on inaugural exhibitions. Did you get to meet Kiki Shepherd? No. Okay, just wondering. Okay. Yeah. What about the wood from the the, the actual? Well, yeah, so yeah. I had to do a couple of site visits to the theater. Okay. And so yeah, I got the whole ins and outs of the Apollo. Yeah. Okay. It's pretty cool. So that is the one thing that kind of led. Right. So that that opened the door for me at the new museum, um, and then I was a trust employee because I was like I was on a contract for the Apollo show, and then I became a trust employee. Which is, you know, like an appointment, you know, and, okay. and it's renewed for every year or two or depending. Um, and trust employees, for those who don't know, are not paid from federal money. So it's private funding. So uh, at any time, your shit could be gone. Right. Right. Your project doesn't get funded again or whatever. Yeah. You don't have a job. Yeah. yeah. So it was kind of a crapshoot every year. But considering we were opening this new museum, we were pretty confident that right, it would, right, right, right. the job would be around. Um and then um, I had to apply for my own job to become federal in, I think, 2013, um, and, which is basically like the equivalent, you know, in the academic world is like having tenure. Like, it's locked. Yeah, you're locked. You're good. You're good. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, yeah, so I started working on, um, we have a curatorial team of about 20 people. Um, it wasn't quite as many back then. It was very, much smaller. Um, but I uh, was on four primary teams. And ended up collecting objects and developing stories for eight of the 11 inaugural exhibitions. So things that have nothing to do with music or anything right. as well. Okay. Yeah. So, um... <clears throat> I'm, just, I'm also admiring your glasses, by the way. Oh, yeah, actually, let's, um, let's drink. Oh, sure. Yeah, let's drink. Let's, um, What do we have? So, uh, Jamal left these. I don't even know what they were, what they are. Let's see. This is from Atlas. He okay. actually works at Atlas, actually. Oh, great. Right. Have you been to Atlas before? I have... Yes. Yeah? <laughs> yes. Are you a beer drinker, first of all? Like, I I mean, I'm from Wisconsin. Oh, um, right. So... Okay. So that's have, a fair answer. We have Atlas's Home Rule, which is a uh, nice little IPA. Okay. All right. And we have Three Stars. Jamal loves these Three Stars. This is a porter. Okay. And then... Call Me Mayor by Denison's, which is right around the corner, which mm-hmm. is like a basic red ale. Okay. So, what you want to start off with? Um, I'll do the red ale. Try the red ale? Yeah. All right. Thank you. So, um, now that we're drinking. Now that we're right. drinking. Do you drink a lot? Do you hang out? And you know, like... I, um, <laughs> it's funny. Everyone's like, you're so busy. You're always doing stuff. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, but I also like to do nothing a lot. Yeah, I, um, I, I'm with you. So I... Great. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely go out relatively often. It's off, I'm at concerts a lot. Mm-hmm. And I don't... See, that's what I need to do. I need to get back into concerts. Like, I haven't been to a show in a very, very, very long time. Really? Yeah. And... Jamal and I, when we first moved here, like 2007. That's right, because you guys knew each other from high school. From high school, but both right. ended up here. Right. right, right, and we didn't even really plan on it. You know, we yeah. just kind of, we kind of actually after high school, kind of not fell out, but like we just kind of went our separate yeah. ways or whatever. Yeah, right? it and happens. 
we both just awesome. ended up right here in, in DC. But we used to be That's at good. like every fucking concert. I mean, we used to be everywhere in yeah. DC. Rock the Bells, we've done countless times, Roots Picnic, um, everything up in here in 930 mm-hmm. Club. You know, we've seen just we've been about to everybody. Anthem, yeah. Haven't been to Anthem. That's what I was saying. Like, I need to get out and start going to, um, getting back out and going to concerts. But at the, at, at the same time, it's like I've seen so many, I've seen just about everyone I really want to see. And the people that I would want to see now, like Kendrick, I would mm-hmm. love to go see Kendrick. But not in the fucking Verizon Center, you know. I want to see him like in a more intimate. Good luck. Yeah, yeah, you know. Which, I saw him at the nine thirty club when he first. Oh yeah, way uh, back when. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and that was amazing. But like now, I mean, he's obviously not going to perform at. You you never know. The Fillmore, you know. So. There could be a, a pop up opportunity here and there. Hope, but yeah, I, I mean, it's it's different. Like, like I go out to a lot. Of, I go to a lot of concerts. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes. For multiple reasons, I either really love the artists and I'm, you know, really into the music, um, and or it's kind of work. You know, is that really work though? Mm-hmm. A lot, oh, huge. Because it's, it's all like I was just at all the um, uh, Roots Grammy jams. Okay. And those are, you know, those are my friends. Like that's my family now, right? But they weren't when I went to the Roots picnic six years ago. Like I didn't know them. Right. Um, but those, those opportunities to, you know, like talk to people, have FaceTime with people like in real life is, is, is so important to my job because so much of what I do is all about relationships Relationships and building connections and and main, and for me now, a lot of it is maintaining them. So, you know, and, and I, I have always just been so aware of how important it is to, um, be authentic with that dedication and um it's it's a it's a huge part of of why i'm always kind of being aware of my presence not like oh i'm here but like i need to be present yeah like really here here. for other people and actually be you know invested and dedicated in a way that is real um and that's you know you got to go where they are and where are they there it shows shows right so as a young girl in Wisconsin growing up, did you ever think that you would be friends with Questlove? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you know, why, like, why would I? <laughs> right? Like, how amazing does that feel? Why would I think like, on that road trip to Santa right, Fe yeah. that I would spend seven hours with Lauren Hill in the museum? No, I would never, yeah. ever think Wait, that. You met Lauren Hill? Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, she did a tour. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, yeah. And that's the weird, that's the, exactly it. Like, Never in a million years would I think that you're hanging out with these people. That like I was backstage at the Roots uh, Roots picnic once and saw Solange there and I almost cried. Ooh. She is like golden, like literally. She really her is. skin is like I'm like, are you? I'm she like, she glows. Yeah. Like oh my god. Man. Yeah. And you're just hanging out with people like that just all the time. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but like it's it's. It, I never take it for granted. Right. Um, I never... I also... Like, I'm super spoiled when it comes to concerts and things now. Like, and I and I recognize that and I check that privilege <laughs> all the time. 
but I'm very grateful for it at the same time. But but yeah, I never I never take any kind of kindness for granted. I never take any, you know, um, gesture of goodwill um, like I deserve or expect it. Um, and if it, it I, I don't like to be that person who is demanding of things. Right. And um, you know, because the only thing I can give back isn't anything you can hold in your hand. Like I can give back experiences and you know things related to me as a person and my work. Um, but yeah, it's a pretty, um, like I, I texted Chuck D after I saw Black Panther and I was like, yo, you got to go see this movie. I'm not going to tell you why. Wow. You know, and he was like, because of the posters, you know, sorry, yeah, I just, yeah, yeah. For, spoiler alert, not really, um, <laughs> for Black Panther. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, like who, why, what, like just what? Yeah. But that's, that's, Life, you know, and, and life, yeah. mm-hmm. so besides the roots, because I mean, obviously we know they're amazing live, right? Yes. Who else, like, what's the best show you've been to? Oh my god, I don't know if I can. I don't know. Yeah, I, mm, that's hard. Um, oh, yeah, I just saw Janet Jackson recently, and and I saw um, when she was here in DC, and then I saw the end towards the end of the tour before in Minneapolis. When um, <clears throat> the the mayor came out and declared it Janet Jackson Day. Oh right, yeah, yeah. And I didn't know Jimmy and Terry then. But they came out and surprised her with like this whole thing and whatever. That was really beautiful. So she she's always amazing. I I am a huge Janet like uh, like fan, of course, but also I'm just so um, determined to give her the kind of um, scholarship and attention that she deserves from multiple perspectives beyond just, like, the pop world space. Like, no, she, yeah, she absolutely. Really, Janet's she really... my first crush. I wanted to give her my kids as well. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I just, basically. That's she can, give, yeah. You know, like, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. So Janet she, that, the most recently, she was amazing. I mean, um, there have been moments that have just moved me for various reasons, um, and then other moments where I'm just, like, my face is blown off. Like, you just, you can't, like, it, there was a very, there, there's a spectrum of right. um, experiences and emotions. Like, I saw the revolution... Um, actually at the Fillmore uh, relatively recently. I want to say this was over the... I, don't, I would have to look. Um, I think it was not quite a year ago. Maybe it was... I, I don't know. I'd have to check. Um, but I went through all the emotions that yeah, night. Yeah. All, of, all of the emotions. Like I was crying, I was laughing, I was dancing, I was singing, I was crying again. And, you know, it was just like that was a, an experience. Um, and, you know, the way that, that Wendy and Lisa in particular have embraced the kind of um, continuing of the music mm-hmm. as a gift to everyone else, you know, like these songs belong right. to you. Like that was really powerful. Um, and they're just wonderful human beings and I love them. Because um, they're adopting me. You know, you know, Wendy and Lisa are going to adopt me. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> um, Again, what? <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> couldn't have guessed right. it ever. I mean, Texting and then I saw the I saw the revolution like, again at First Ave mm-hmm. in Minneapolis, um, obviously, okay. and that was a really powerful, powerful night too. Um, but then, you know, yeah, like when the museum opened that night, Public Enemy was playing "Fucking Fight the Power" on the National Mall to fifty thousand people. I was crying like a little kid because yeah. I was like, granted, I hadn't slept in like 
a year and didn't eat anything for like probably two weeks and yeah, I know, I know you know that. that that moment like there is actual video footage and they're 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 performing and you can see like fan footage you can see me on the side of the stage and I am like weeping like openly <laughs> yeah, right. weeping right. as public enemy is like doing what they do and I'll never forget because Chuck went down into the crowd that night when they did fight the power because well, part of the reason was Bill Nunn the actor who played Radio Rahim and Do the Right Thing oh, passed away the, right. the day right. the museum opened. That's right. Chuck me, texted me about it and, you know, was like, we're going to dedicate, you know, Fight the Power to him yeah. that night. Because um, I also collected the boombox that he carried in the film that's on display in the museum. But so, in, and so Flav's always all over the place, right? And so Chuck went down into the crowd, like into the audience in the middle, and he never does that. And it was just this moment. Because he and I, like, 10 years ago or whatever, I was like, oh, you know, yeah, you guys will play the opening for this museum. And he was like, right. <laughs> sure we will. You know, mm-hmm. And, yeah, I'll believe yeah. it when I see it. You know, he's just like, that's never going to happen. And I was like, no, just wait, wait. Um, and sure enough, there they were. And it was like this culmination of so many people working so hard for so long to create this moment that was just beautiful. I mean, Living Color played before them. Love Living Color. Corey Glover is one of the best voices in rock and roll. Like, fight me. I don't care. Yeah, like, yeah, he's yeah. just amazing. Um, and so as the sun was setting, you know, they're doing their set. And, like, wow. the crowd... It was just like this... You can't draw it up any better. And then the Roots closed out the show yeah. and it killed it. And so that will always and forever be one of the most significant nights in terms of live music for me in my life. But at the same time, like... You know, I saw Emily Harris play this tiny little club in London mm-hmm. and, like, changed my life, you know, because I was listening to one of her records the right. whole time I was I was over there. She just released Red Dirt Girl, and um, I got really, like, heavy into her catalog, and she's actually kind of local to the DMV, um, and that, but the, the extreme opposite. So, you know, like, I can appreciate all these different kinds of... Because to me, it, they're, they're different moments. Right. When do you think you develop that appreciation for, like, multiple genres and just different, like, backgrounds? And is it was it because Oh, really of, early on, because yeah. of my parents. Okay. Yeah. So my dad, like I said, is, my dad's a musician. He's from Chicago. Um, so he grew up going to see Bonnie Raitt at the little, you know, 20-person club okay. or whatever. Like, he was very much into the blues scene, but also... Um, um, like American roots music and folk music and, and banjo music and all of these, like he played with Vassar Clements and John Hartford and Bill Monroe and like all these legends in that kind of world. Um, and was kind of up and coming in the Midwestern, you know, folk mm-hmm. music scene. Okay. If there was okay, one, but there was, right. I promise. And then my mom's from Cleveland. And so it was just like rock and roll, like all the Beatles. I had all the Beatles records probably memorized before I was in, you know, like junior high just because what did your mom Rolling Stones like you name it like I was straight up something something to say about Quincy Jones talking trash about the Beatles (laughs) no I haven't talked to her about that Quincy apologized for I saw that today but that but it's so funny because that is how he talks like that article that is exactly the flow of a conversation and he like every time I see him he asks he does ask me my sign like four times like without question right right right, like He's still doing that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and he he's, he just he it exists. Works, right? He like, exists in a different like his he functions in a different time. He really does. Yeah, um, I believe it. I mean, so kudos to him for recognizing that he needs to kind of catch up to but, the times. But did he recognize it, or did his daughters recognize it? Like, hey, well, he listened to his daughters. Yeah. And Rashida is, I love her to death. She, I'm sure, was like 
we know that. So <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I took him through the, the uh, music exhibition twice now, once before we opened, mm-hmm. and then just recently because he was in town for the Kennedy Center honors. Um, and there, we, it took us forever to just go like two feet because he has stories about literally every Everything. single thing. I mean, because he was there for all and, and, right? Yeah, like, and it's not just like this cool story. It's like, oh, we were in this country that doesn't exist anymore, yeah. you know, doing this thing that you wouldn't have never yeah. heard of. And, you know, it's just like, like the chapters of his life are like entire lifetimes yeah. for the rest of us. And not like the thing about it is he's at such a high level. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, so he's this is not just a regular 85 year old. This is Quincy Jones, right? This is someone who's he's been at a high level, seen and done everything, a, like, and has such the 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 level of perfection that right. he commands with his you know with his work. Um, but yeah, no, he. It, I read I read the article and I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, this is that's definitely accurate <laughs> because he will just change the subject at the drop of it, like. When he cut to the "Do you like Brazilian?" Do you music? like Brazilian I music? Like, I, had, I tweeted out that day. I was like, "Shout out to everybody who's actually answering the question about whether or not they like <laughs> right. Brazilian music," because there were people legitimate be like, "Oh well, yeah, no, no, no." I'm like, oh, "You no, God. no, you don't stop." Wow. <laughs> so my bad. So your mom no. was all rock and roll. Yeah. So she was, yeah, cream. You know, every all of it, anything that you know, Billy Preston. You know, we had a lot of so. Um, I had that on one side and my dad on the other side and he's also a history, a big history person. And so I, but at the meantime, meanwhile, I was playing classical music on piano. I was studying piano and, and then all the band music. And so, and so like the Sousa marches or the, you know, Bernstein or whatever, right. you know, playing in band and then the jazz band as well, which is like our sad attempt at the jazz band. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of have always had this super eclectic, and so the the when my dad played every summer, like I saw one of Johnny Cash's last performances there. I saw you know a lot of Richie Havens, like mm-hmm. got super high with Richie Havens one time when I was like fifteen. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so there there are these <laughs> there are these like I was always kind of around, not like with the band in that way, but like I was with the band. I was the the kid. Yeah. Right. So that's been a very natural for me my whole life was to be, you around know, music. around music, yeah. but also around the, the personalities scene and the personalities are, yeah. and, and, and just understanding how so all, like, the machine works. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. I right? think so. You know, like maybe given your background, like this is what you should be doing. Right. How many people can say that? I am super lucky. Yeah. Yes. So as a woman, as a female, like how is it? in the industry like how do you feel in terms of challenges um just people act a little different around you or like what what types of things you run into as as a woman in 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 music yeah well i for me i get it i get it kind of in different ways like there's just the general um challenges that women of any background color face um and it's incredibly disheartening to see it happen all the time i like you asked oh do you drink and you go out yeah i do i have a policy (laughs) about not drinking at shows um about maintaining my wits you know keeping my wits about me the whole time um because i have absolutely had moments where I'm like, why am I the only one in this room all of a sudden? 
Why am I? Why is this car going this direction when I need to go the other way? Right. Like that shit is real, and it yeah. happens all the time. And I see it. You know, I my radar might be slightly heightened to it. Um, and I'm very, very blessed that I have a strong community of people looking out for me mm-hmm. in those spaces because I could probably have had right, so much like, worse yeah, experiences. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I, but as because I kind of have always had that awareness, I have um, from the very beginning of being around this stuff. Again, like probably going back to like seeing the guys in my dad's band get like super shit faced and you know whatever like not okay right Um, and I'm not saying it's always like drug or alcohol related but like sometimes it's just not it's just not a safe space and if it's it's more so when you are um, not at your full capacity for making decisions or being aware being just aware you gotta be on all the time and so that's that's something that I'm very aware of Um, and you know at the same time like I have been, um, to be perfectly honest, like mistaken for a groupie or why else is this white girl backstage? Like right, she's here for me, you right. know? And it's like, no, I'm not. Yeah, no, I'm yeah, not. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there have been moments where incredibly well-known figures in music have made the mistake of making a, an assumption about me only right. to be checked by another very well-known figure in right. music. Like, no, no, that's not why she's here. Like, let me introduce you. Yeah. Not that I'm like the most important person in the world, but like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not there for those reasons. And um, and that's a very old school way of looking at things, mm-hmm. too, that I see changing. And I appreciate that because more and more, like, that's not happening. And that I, have, that I haven't had to really um, deal with that as of, as of, as of late, which is, which is comforting in a way. And well, I was that, it's, ask, that it's changing. Like, yeah, I was going to ask, um, how is it being a white woman in a mm. predominantly, you know, well, everybody thinks that Timothy from the Black Museum, who's going to come talk about hip hop or rock and roll or whatever, is going to be you. Uh, oh, right. First of all, right. So there's that. Dude, right. So I got to deal with you know the name um, before anything else. Right. Yeah. So that's that's the first hurdle. Yeah. Is like so. I know I meant to ask you about that, but go ahead. Let's continue. No, no, no you can it's so, sidebar. It's fine. Timothy. Mm-hmm. This, is there a story behind that, or I would have been Brian had I been a boy. Okay. Uh huh. Timothy was the first choice for a girl. Timothy Ann. Mm-hmm. So it's funny because, like, I'm Timothy. Um, Do you go by anything else, or it, in like different cr- like crews in the South, I'm Timothy Ann. Like it's very one yeah. name. Um, on the West Coast, or to certain people, I'm, I'm Timothy or just Tim. Because that's I go by Tim right. growing up too. Um, but then I'm also Tab. My initials. That's, oh, that's okay. uh, Chuck started calling me Tab. Forever ago, and it stuck, and so now, yeah, so now it's So, kind of de- depending on what part of the country I'm in, it's like what I'm what I'm called. But, um, but yeah, it's 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 funny because I, whenever I get the shout outs or whatever, um, like Amir will will mention me on Questlove Supreme or something, and he'll be like, "Yes, Timothy, she is a girl. Yes, yeah. that's what I said. Not Tiffany, Timothy." And like, so that's how people introduce me. Like, I, yes, I'm going to say it four times, and I'm going to watch you process it. And, and question it. And before you can actually question it, I'm going to say it again. Again, just yeah. so you know, yes, it is Timothy, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So Jamal is here. Hello. Hi. Hi, hi, hi. Yeah. So start from the beginning. What right, <laughs> right, what's happening? 
Yeah, no, nah, I don't know what happened, but like it's recording, but it won't play back. So I don't. I just like fucking we'll just recording. He's also back. recording on his phone, on just his phone, in case. Yeah. Hey man, yeah, do what so. I do. Thanks for coming. Yeah, on. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. How long y'all been going so far? Quarter after eight. Yeah, yeah, about an hour. So, right? um, we already did the beer. Just yeah, we did, we're doing some beer. We did right one. Now. Oh, we did, did one. one. Okay. Um, so we were. She was talking about being a woman in the industry. Um, she was stunting on me, talking about how she knows Quincy Jones and Chuck <sighs> D. She texts Chuck D. today and all kinds of stuff. So, yeah. What? Y'all probably already talked about this. What exact specifically do you do? What do I actually do? Yeah. We didn't actually oh, okay. talk about that. Um, so I am part of the um, curatorial staff at the museum. So I uh, collect artifacts and uh, develop exhibition content. Here, I'll, you want to go in the middle? No, oh, we're just playing. We're just moving things around. Um, you still a whole thing? No. Um, so yeah, so I uh, basically, with my colleagues, um, decide, you know, what kinds of stories. Um, so with the inaugural exhibitions, when I say inaugural exhibitions, that's the um, we have eleven exhibitions in the museum that we opened with. So I was on the primary uh, team on the teams for four of those, but um, basically also developed, collected artifacts for, and developed stories for different stories that appear in eight of the 11 exhibitions. So, like, from the segregation exhibition all the way up to the fourth floor, I've got, I've got stuff mm-hmm. all over the museum. Um, and so it's um, basically, like, deciding, okay, what's the story we want to tell? Um, what are the kind of objects we need to tell those stories? How can we find them? And then how do you work those into an exhibition-style storytelling? And sometimes it's, you know, you have a wish list of objects, but then other times you're discovering things along the way that you never knew about that were super amazing. And so a lot of it is just being open to new learning about new stories or new individuals or new, you know, what have you, um, and kind of being really nimble with, with how you collect. So for a long time, I was out on the road um, collecting for like, I mean, I was, I was away as much as I was home. I was gone a little over 50% of the time for like, four years. Oh, wow. Um, and then when I was home, it was like nonstop meetings and planning and, you know, writing and um, figuring it out. What's the one thing you're most proud of, like finding, like all the objects? Finding or actually getting? Oh, okay. <laughs> well, actually getting. <laughs> um, that's really hard. Yeah, I really love that. So I've actually collected multiple boom boxes for the Smithsonian, which I'm super uh, proud of. I have Fab Five Freddy's at American History. Um, I have the boom box that Radio Rahim carried and Do the Right Thing in the exhibition oh, um, 68 downstairs. And then I have a boom box that, that Chuck and Public Enemy took around the world um, in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, and I actually have different stories about how those physically got to the museum. Um, what I really like to do is think about um, kind of pushing the envelope in terms of the kinds of stories that museums can and should tell and the kinds of objects that can be used mm-hmm. to tell those stories. So I'm super proud of the Dilla equipment, um, both because of the story it tells in terms of a you know, defined underground however you want, but relatively underground figure in um, music, not just hip-hop, but uh, music production, 
primarily, and then that combined with the fact that like an MPC and a synthesizer and kind of explaining what those even do and why they're important in music and what does that mean for music production and how that evolves from like what Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis were doing in a studio versus like what Dilla did, you know, with one piece of equipment. Um, so, so that to me is, is, is really thrilling to be able to provide moments for visitors um, from any kind of background and any kind of walk of life to have it actually see themselves and their own lives and experiences represented in the museum. That it's the people who come in and, you know, see Outcast are going to relate that differently than they're going to relate to Duke Ellington. Mm-hmm. You know, so if we are not being inclusive of, um, you know, people like Nona Hendricks or Janet Jackson or whatever, like, we're, we're excluding and a group of our audience already, or a certain, a certain community, um, from having that opportunity to to really relate and connect with the content in that way. So we were always thinking very carefully about about that, and how are we presenting, you know, as much of the full um, kind of trajectory as we can. So there are there are places throughout the museum where I'm super proud of those kinds of experiential moments for visitors. You know, where it's like they're, they're, they are caught off guard and they're unexpectedly, um, they, they're, they're able to connect in a way that is very unexpected mm-hmm. from what you might think a museum, let alone a Smithsonian Museum, right. you know, is going to do. So what, what is it like getting those objects? Like how, like, like and, and how hard? Be, yeah. <laughs> right. Like, like you have to go to like, a lot of hoops to get Radio Raheem's boombox? Yeah. Like, yeah. Sounds like a lot of paperwork to sign off on. Well, that's that's actually not the hard part. It, it, it's We were talking earlier about the relationship building. That's really what it is. It's time and investment and the dedication to, this, to the storytelling. Um, and working with people to, and, and, under, and, and understanding that they might not want to do it and being okay with that. You know, like with Dilla's mom, I just saw her last weekend. And um, she's now a lifelong friend, you know, because we went through a process where she, I went to see her in Detroit and she, you know, admitted to me in that first visit when I asked if she would be interested in donating, you know, some object to the museum that she was realizing just then that she hadn't really properly mourned her son. Mm. Because the idea of letting go of the physical things that represented Mm -hmm. him was something she hadn't considered before. And so for four years, just about... We went through that process together, you know, where she was mourning him. I was learning everything about him, you know, and, and it was when she was ready. That's when, you know, they came to the museum. Those objects came to the museum. So, but not every donation is, takes four years. Sometimes it's just one visit. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to see Mark James at his house in New Jersey and walked away with the latest first track sheet. Done. But it took a couple of emails and phone calls ahead mm-hmm. of time. You know, to set that up, but that's one of my favorite objects. You know, and it was just hanging up in his house. Uh, your educational background, like, how did you fall into this line of work? You like a historian major, or do you already? Yeah. We talked about that a little bit, yeah. So I have a my undergrad is in music performance and history and okay. English, and my master's degree is in museum studies. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. yeah. But I did that um, after I had been working for like ten years. Yeah, gotcha. I waited gotcha. before I committed. Another, another degree and lots more time and money. 
So we were also talking about shows. I was telling her like how we used to rip and run and go yeah. to all the shows and it got old. Yeah, and it got old. But we, it I happens. feel like we need to get back to it, man. Like, yeah, there's some good things coming up. Like it's you know, and and DC has a. I've really kind of fallen in love with the 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 scene here. Like I don't, I'm not in it as much. Um, but there are, you know, it's nice to have a lot of venue choices and, right. you know, different kind of spaces that appeal to different, um, kind of audiences. So, so yeah, I mean, there's, and, and the festivals and all that popping up to like, it's, it's a lot to keep track of. Yeah. I mean, this is why Shannon's here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's a lot. So we talked about the best shows. Like what were some of the most memorable Worst shows? I don't, you know, I don't know if I've really had a worst, like a bad show experience. Um, Maybe that's because I'm, I might be a little, you know, biased because I might, if I know that, you know, Mm -hmm. if I know the people or I know what's going on or with them or whatever, but um, I don't think I can point to a a performance or or a, a live musical moment that was bad for any reason that, you know, barring like, the sound wasn't right or, yeah. you know, the mic levels were low or, you know, some bullshit like that. Um, Top two shows you've ever been to in life? I don't know if I can do that because they're so different. Like, there's, like, there's such a variety. Um, like I was telling him earlier, the museum opening night concert will forever be one of the most significant moments in my life. But that's for very personal yeah, reasons. Yeah, also, yeah. it was really fucking dope. Yeah, like, yeah, it was yeah. just an amazing show. Um, but to have that moment, like, we, <laughs> to pull that off um, was astounding. And so that will forever be really um, important to me. But, but I, you know, every, every, like, I saw my friend Sarah Watkins perform at um, um, Constitution Hall for an Emmylou Harris tribute that's now... A special and it's like a live DVD it's like a DVD special or whatever and that was really important to me personally because um, I had a lot of um, life moments where like Emmylou Harris was a soundtrack and she's like the opposite of hip hop I mean she's like but brilliant songwriter and so to see my friend you know who who is now you know she has been a very significant figure in music for a while but to see her in that company on that stage was something i was very proud of her and i was very proud and excited to be in that moment um so there everything has a different kind of mm-hmm. angle to it um but yeah i mean but then i was like being in atlanta at for the what was it the um dungeon family uh whole reunion oh, show like was God. that two summers ago and I knew, and I knew that Dre was gonna come out because, like, oh, he, he's a friend anyway. But like, it was this whole thing, and like, that's never, like, legit, never gonna happen again. Like, they will all not be on the same stage. My mind. He's a, at like, a dungeon family right? reunion. Concert. They were all there. Yeah, they closed with um, and Eric, so Erica did a separate set. Uh-huh. Um. So they did, you know, they did everything. They did gangster shit, you know, and like everybody came out and did their own, did all their verses. And, um, um, but they closed with uh, the track Erica's on that I'm not able to. Liberation. Liberation. They closed with Liberation. Mm -mm -mm. And so she was literally like singing from the DJ's microphone, like in the back. Um, Yeah, it was beautiful. But like that's, you know, that's not going to happen again. Yeah. Mm -mm. 
Um, how neurotic is your job? Like, do you have like relaxed time? It seems like there's a lot of on the go texting, no real work hours. <laughs> Shannon's like, shaking her head. <laughs> like, where where's the relaxation? How do you relax? Um, so it's really funny because uh, I don't. I don't. <laughs> um, no, yeah. I do. But it's hard. So so much of what I what I think about every day for various reasons for like work or my you know personal research or the things that I'm that I'm just kind of trying to accomplish um, are so much a part of life in everyday culture mm-hmm. that I have to find ways to detach separate. and separate. So like I will blow through a show like um, Downton Abbey. Or, you know, like some shit that is like so far away from all that yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, just, yeah. like, just because I, it's, it's the, yeah. it's an escape. Yeah. So that's why I asked, like, because it seems like the lines would get blurred. Like, Very if this blurred. is it's something hard. that you enjoy and, it's right. like, and this is part of your job, yeah. it seems like you would run yourself in the ground. Yeah. It's hard easy. sometimes to turn that part of yeah, yeah. my brain off. So, like, to go to movies or do whatever, to see, like, documentaries, like, yep, that's all great. But, like. I cannot help but process that through the filter of work mm-hmm. stuff. And I'm not complaining because that is a privilege yeah, yeah, and yeah. I recognize that fully. But sometimes you just want to like walk, watch Parks and Rec and like not think about yeah, yeah. anything, yeah. you know, like, and that is one of my favorite shows. And I, I will do that. Like that's, that's my like, oh shit, I got a flight at 6am. It is one o'clock in the morning and I have to do laundry and I have to pack and I'm not going to sleep tonight. So let me put on some Parks and Rec and keep myself awake. Well, because if I fall asleep on the couch while I'm waiting for the laundry to change over, I'm not going to make the flight. <laughs> um, and and but that's a way for me to just like let my brain like function differently for just a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's hard. And again, not complaining. But it, it's um, you need to find ways to. I was talking to a friend of mine today where it's just like sometimes you just need to force yourself to be still and, and just exist in the quiet. And that is it's really challenging. Especially if you're doing something that you really and care for and like. And right. All that good stuff. I love what I do, and I'm surrounded by it 24-7. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's a blessing, but at the same time, like, no, sometimes you just really need to step back. What do you guys have planned for the future? Like, what type of um, expedition are you guys trying to have? And the museum? Yeah, the museum. Um, we have, um, well, the inaugural exhibitions are permanent. Um, so that's, you know, we say permanent, but it's like, like what a 30 year span or whatever, but within those exhibitions, different objects and stories will rotate, um, whether for conservation and preservation purposes, um, or to feature a new acquisition or what have you. But for the most part, like the the exhibitions you see, the three history galleries, the third floor of the cult, the community floor, the culture floor on the fourth floor, all that shit will be the same. Um, but the stories within them will change. Um, and then we have a 4,000 square foot gallery um, that is our temporary exhibition space. And so we just closed um, our first uh, show there, More Than a Picture, which featured f- photographs from the permanent collection, um, complemented with uh, a handful of artifacts. It was really beautiful. We also have a, a space across the street at American History that's a shared gallery we had, mm-hmm. where we had our temporary um, kind of preview exhibitions where the Apollo show opened and a couple mm-hmm. of others. Um, and so we just um, opened a new exhibition there on the Poor People's Campaign. Um, and it, hi- it talks a lot about Resurrection City, you know, here in Washington, D.C. 
And then we will be opening um, another exhibition in the Temporary Gallery, which we will announce relatively soon um, this summer. So that space will have exhibitions roughly open for a year or a year and a half or something like that. Okay. All right. Yeah. And then programming is constant. Like we just, we have, um, I mentioned today there was a, a film screening. We have um, Center for African American Media Arts does um, a cinema and conversation series. Mm -hmm. So there'll be a documentary or some kind of a film. And then afterwards, a panel discussion or an interview like today with the film's director and you know, so there, there are always things happening at the museum. We had a surprise pop-up Black Panther screening, um, but then a, lots of, a lot of more... Um, everything, that, all we do in terms of the programs that the museum develops are always rooted in the collections and rooted in the stories being told in the exhibitions. And so... And we just go from there. And it's so the sky's the limit, really, in terms of what we can do. But they're always... Um, it's not just have a program to have a program. Like, there is always a message. There's always mm -hmm. a purpose uh, behind it. And that's ongoing. That's forever. If I give you the aux cord right now, what are you playing? On my phone? What? Yeah, what are you playing? Like, someone says, hey, I'm giving you the aux cord. We're listening. What do you want to listen to? Um, most recently, I was just listening to Janelle's new tracks. Okay. Those came out today, right? Yeah. yeah. And one of them is basically her embodying Prince. And it's pretty fucking amazing. I'm trying to think. I thought I listened. Is it? The make Jane me feel, make me make me feel. Is that what it's called? Jane or something? And Django Jane is the other one where oh, she's okay. like showing off her rap skills. Yeah, yeah. I'm listening. I listen to that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. No, the make me feel one is 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 her because you know she was working with Prince on mm -hmm. this record, like they were as she will say like they were throwing out sound ideas or whatever, um, and so she was very much. There's a there's a great a great quote actually where she's like you know I pay tribute to Prince in all of my music. Um, but yeah, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty hard song. All right, I was listening to that. Top five albums. Nope. <laughs> nope. It's gonna take the political route. I can't. I mean, top five in what genre? Like what time? Like, all like personally, all you know, like okay, the what is it? Your five the, favorite um, albums to drink a beer with. To no, drink a beer with. No, that's not. I would. I wouldn't do that though. You wouldn't um, listen to music while drinking a beer. Not on myself. Like, no. Mm-mm. Um, I, where do I go back? I'm trying to think of, like, what I always go back to. I always go back to the Beatles. Um, that's what I grew up on. Um, I go back to early Aretha um, when she's singing blues and singing jazz. And, like, early Aretha she's, is like, pretty fire. She's, on the low. yeah, she's I had killer. no idea she had, like, a baby at, like, 12 or some shit like that. Like, a 14. I didn't know she had a baby. Did, did you know that? Her life is very interesting. Yeah. Holy shit. Like, yeah, I, I just, know. I was on Twitter and some dude was, like, tweeting, like, like, random, like, Black History Facts or whatever and, like, Black Hollywood Facts. Yeah, there's a lot of her. speculation about what actually was going down. Yeah, and, like, her dad was, yeah. like, having gay origins or something like bizarre I was like oh holy shit like Aretha Franklin really? she came out of a very complicated yeah, environment imagine, right? yeah but but yeah the early stuff where she's playing piano and and like just like she has a trouble in mind like it just it's all so good so good um I could listen to that all the time um I, I just, I, I can't even think about, it's really, again, it's really hard because it's all so different. Mm -hmm. Like, I will, um, 
I, I will go on like a Janet Jackson kick and like listen to nothing but Janet for like two weeks. Um, I can always listen to Janet Jackson. I can always listen to Prince. I can always listen to you know a lot of people. Um, but there are there are different you know like that Emmylou Harris Red Dirt Girl record. That is me riding trains all over Europe when I'm 20. I can listen to that album right. and like be comforted in a way that is that no always, other record's going to do like, that. Music is so connected all mm-hmm. the times to like yeah. you know time in life and versus me crying to Public Enemy, <laughs> which I which I do. I get emotional when I listen yeah. to Public Enemy. Um, but and, and at the same time, like there are different um, things that I can't help but not like process and unpack in a very nerdy way mm-hmm. too. So, you know, am I, what, what am I doing? What's, what's the moment where I'm listening to this and what's my goal? You know, am I, am I trying to challenge myself or mm-hmm. am I trying to just like completely let go or am I trying to mo- be motivated or am I trying to sing? Am I trying to dance? Like what, cause that's what drives me. Mm-hmm. And th- as soon as I, as soon as I know the kind of, um, feeling I'm, I need to have or moment I'm having, that's that when I like, without thinking, I will go to that song or that kind of do the same thing yeah yeah i kind of do the same thing like that but i there's like i can't say this is the the one like it's impossible it's absolutely impossible because like some of my dad's music is like that to me you know Mm -hmm. where like it's it's like my it's literally my childhood you know so yeah so if i asked you what the greatest love song of all time was you wouldn't be able to answer not at all (laughs) no No. i'm on a quest to find the answer love song of all time what were you gonna say? Wow. So, oh God. What? <laughs> what? Why you already? It's gonna be something I don't agree with. That's why I would go ahead. You already like damn. So, um, I think did you, I would, did you I would go with uh, Lenny, Lenny Williams because I love you. I feel like that is just an amazing song, and the emotion in that song is just so heavy. And like, I mean, come on, man, it's it's a great love song. I would, I would actually also say, and this is more modern, but like Adorn. Mm. Hey, what? No, I, I, I do. You was gonna say that, bro? Adorn no, is I like, like Adorn. Adorn is dope, bro. Like that is a that is a dope ass song. And I would say even even now, I would say Get You by Daniel Caesar. But mm. I know you hate Daniel Caesar. Shannon's with me. Okay, okay, <laughs> okay. Shannon's with me. All right. I'll, but like, I'll take some Sade. And then. But oh. then you see, uh, you have like um, no ordinary love, like that's mm. amazing, you know. Like, Lemon suit, be. Uh, can I tell you how excited I am for this regular time song? So. And no IDs. No, I that's what that's what I was going to say. No ID is supposed to be producing it too. So yeah. I that. I had to like stand up when I saw Ava's tweet announcing the song, because like I I saw I mean I love Shade. I love Shade. I saw her on the last tour here. In DC. How do you feel about Drake getting a Sade tattoo? What do you think about that? <laughs> I don't give a shit about her. what Drake does. Do you, <laughs> <He has laughs> I really don't. He has her face <laughs> tattooed on him. Like, Great. That is, that is just... a lot. Somebody has a, a, a tattoo of my friend Rhapsody on their arm now. Oh, wow. Really? Like, that shit's crazy. Yeah, that is yeah, a little yeah. crazy. Okay. But it's huge. Like, it's a huge statement about, you know, loving that artist's work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I don't know. Drake's great, I don't, but I really don't care what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought it was odd that he has Drake, he has uh, Sade and Denzel Washington tattooed. Yeah, Denzel on and Aaliyah, like, like what do you Sade doing, is Sade? really, but Sade she's is beautiful like, if too. She's, you know, she is evergreen. Yeah, 
I want whatever vitamins she's taking. What's your favorite Sade song? Do you have a favorite song? Um, you love the. Kids. Yeah, I like yeah. the early stuff, but there's all there are a couple jams on her last record too, that I really like. Um, so you know, I, the her whole body of work. Um, but there's one. Well, Soldier of Love is the what's that? That's the title track. That's, yeah. Is that the title track? I think mm-hmm. so. Yeah. Like I first I heard that and I was like, this is a this is like her coming into a different time. Because it doesn't sound like. Day of the past. That's, that was the latest one, right? Yeah, that's, that's like almost album, 20 right? years ago, isn't it? No. It was like 2000? Not 20. Damn. No, wait. Soldier of Love? Oh, no, no. That's That was like. What was the one that came out like 2000? 2007? That's the latest one? No, I was in undergrad when that, like, the white cover with her. No, on. no, 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 no. This is a different one. She's right. got, um, my phone. She's, she's wearing, you can only see her back. And um, it's a whole. She did a whole world tour. Soldier of Love, right? That's, yeah, Soldier. That's what it's called, right? I, as far as I know, that's the last Sade album to, to come out. Yeah, that's the last one. Two thousand ten. Oh, so I said seven. I totally slept on that. Oh one. yeah, and so some of these songs. Actually, speaking of of the moon in the sky, beautiful love song, beautiful love song. The whole. There are a couple of songs on that record that I was like, okay, I see you. Man, I already saw you, but again. <laughs> but you wouldn't say, Wayne, that those are like the greatest love songs of all time, yeah. Um, The Moon in the Sky is a contender for one of the heart, like a heartbreaking love song. Mm. That was yeah. the best one. Yeah. Yes. yeah, where it's like, we could have had this, but... Harold Melvin, but nope. Notes, I Miss You. Never gets old. Never gets old. Mm. Mary Wells, one step. Never gets old. Never gets old. Um, I was going to ask you something else. You started talking about Shade and everything just. Yeah. <laughs> everything changes. It's okay. Oh, she has, she has that new record coming out or something. Yeah, The Wrinkle in Time, which is a film I'm excited to see. And that's coming out soon, too. It's right? March it's coming out. 18th or something like that. And. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I read all those books when I was a kid. Oh, I read a whole series. I'm such a nerd. So, you're a big reader, mm-hmm. right? Always. What are you currently reading? Well, I just read A Wrinkle in Time again um, 50, for like the millionth time. Um, I don't know if I'm, I'm not really reading a non work book right now. I need to fix that. What's a work book? Oh, God. Um, any kind of biography, um, any kind of... <sighs> just books on the floor of my apartment, the, like, curating culture, or, you know, yeah. the culture of curating, or whatever, <laughs> like, material culture in a modern museum, you know, that kind of stuff, where it's like, oh. Keep the um, skills sharp. Gotta stay up with the times. Um, but then, um, yeah, a lot of... A lot of uh, Kind of explorations of how a lot of this content fits into different spaces in terms of the work people do around legacy. Mm-hmm. So whether that's museum collections and exhibitions, or just like how the stories are being documented um, and shared. So yeah, there, there are always new practices to get hip to, or 
um, you know, making sure that I'm aware of the current methodologies, um, particularly with like, you know, when my colleagues got their degrees in music, in whatever, most of them have degrees in, in history, you know, the internet wasn't a thing. Social media wasn't a thing. So like this whole notion of digital curation um, is, is a, is a, a very thing. important part of the work Especially today. Especially moving forward because like, like developing a museum and creating content for that, like a lot of the content we create is online now, right? right. Like we're producing stuff, we're posting shit on Instagram and on Twitter and all these different, you know, social media platforms. So it's, it's kind of interesting to see where like the future of uh, museum curation is going to go because yeah. the way we're producing content is, is all digital. Right. And we're a born digital museum in the sense that all of our collections are digitized and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, as much as possible in real time and that we have always existed virtually. And that's very different from every other Smithsonian museum that has had to kind of just catch up uh, or try to keep up. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've, we incorporated... We started there. We started there. We, mm-hmm. we always had Twitter. We always had Instagram. We always had Facebook. We always had Snapchat. You know, and that's always been a part of what we do, a website, virtual exhibitions, um, getting as much of our collection accessible online as possible. Like All of that has been, from day one, mm-hmm. a priority. Versus most other museums around the world that have to like do the, the backlog of work. Do which you guys is have? Do you guys offer internships? Absolutely. Now? Yeah, internships what about and fellowships. For like thirty-eight-year-olds. Um, <laughs> you can apply. Trying, trying to get Fam, you, you never know, right? Is that okay? You never know. We've got all kinds. Of, we have a. We have right now a graduate and undergraduate internship position in music and performing arts. Uh, available and open right now. Um, closes soon, though. So there are, there are a variety of departments and offices mm-hmm. that interns can can get involved with. But, you know, throw your, right, throw throw, throw, throw your hat in the ring. Why not? Who knows? Yeah, I, yeah I, I would love to work in that type of environment. Like, we're big music people. Like, I, that's like a dream, basically. It's pretty great. So how did Shannon get into the mix? So Shannon uh, has been with the museum for a while. Uh, she started as an intern. We just yep. about that. Right. So. She was an intern in the social media office, and she um, uh, is in the education department. Yep. And now I work on the floor, and Timothy gives a lot of tours, and she's like one of the nice people who like speaks to us. <laughs> so we like saw her all the time, and then Timothy needed help with her microphone one time, and I was like, I can do that, let me do that. Right. And then that's how. Hashtag I hate headsets. Yeah. Um, so she, yeah. So she is. She exists in my world outside of the museum, okay. um, which is crucial. <laughs> so we work there together in the yeah. craziness. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. What was that like? The opening night. Like I know, like the anxiety. I would, for me would just have been like through the roof. No sleep till NMHC. No sleep. Exactly. That was the hashtag. No sleep till NMHC for sure. And that was real. It was that was really real. Um, because I was also part of the team doing object installation. So uh, for three and a half months, we were in the building from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m., physically putting artifacts in cases um, while they were trying to finish the construction on time. Um, no elevators were working, so it was a lot of stairs, uh, minus the freight elevator to move the objects. Um, so for the, for the two weeks prior to grand opening, we were still working. We were still doing installation. Hmm. But they, the parties started. The preview receptions, the 
million dollar donors. So like, you know, during the day I'm in jeans and a construction vest and a hard hat with like seven pencils stuck in the bun, you know, in my hair. And then at night I'm with Kobe Bryant and Quincy Jones in in a black dress, like in heels. And that was two weeks, like solid every day. Um, but that, and so that was like 7am to 5pm switch gears, you know, go into tour guide museum professional host mode. Um, and that was insane. It was absolutely insane. And even before that, for a couple of weeks, it was like, you know, cause we also had a regular, like regular work to do. So we were doing object installation and then you know, I would have 57 emails <laughs> at 5.30 that I needed to oh. spend a couple hours, you know, working. So it was... Um, teleworking was not an option. There was absolutely no... And teleworking yeah. was not an option. Mm. Um, it was... Uh, but at the same time, we all... It was such a, a strong family and community of people doing it. Because for the most part, all of us had been involved, like my friend Gina, who was a collections manager for the for primarily the culture floor. You know, we worked together at American History. And so we had seen each other through a lot of different chapters of our professional, you know, lives. And, you know, to go through that whole process together of she was, you know, in the exhibition development meetings with the designers and with the curatorial staff. And then, you know, she's leading the charge for the install and I'm you know, taking the lead from her and we're, we're bouncing it. It was just like, it was all hands on deck and everybody came together to make it happen. And then to see people, and this hasn't changed for me either, which is the thing to see people experience the museum for the first time that never gets old. That never becomes dull. It is always shiny and new and wonderful. And to have essentially two solid weeks where you're literally showing someone the work you did that day. Right. Like, here's James Baldwin's passport. I just installed it, you know. Um, and to watch them process it. And it doesn't matter if it's Kobe Bryant or if it's a school group of, you know, 12-year-olds. Like, it's still... still yeah. this Because that's the beautiful thing. You know, everyone always asks me, well, you know, you give all this celebrity to whatever. That once people walk through those doors, they are... It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter who you are. Everyone <clears throat> is the same in terms of the way they are experiencing the museum, the, the way they are experiencing these stories, interpreting the content, you know, going through the physical space. Like, I don't care if you're a track coach from New Jersey or if you're Cher. Like, I am going to give you the right. same experience and give you the best possible moments that I can. Right. And, and, that, and, and, and it's humbling. It's it's humbling for visitors to come through, especially people who are legitimate rock stars, to come in and understand that that they're nothing new. Right. <laughs> you know, like right. like they they may yeah, think they're changing yeah, yeah. the world, but they but, realize yeah. that people have been changing the world yeah. long before they came along, and so they are inspired and they leave inspired. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing that reflective, and I'm getting such amazing feedback from people, like how it's influencing their work and. How they how they kind of view their 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 placement within this kind of continuum, because they they have that understanding and it has it's outside of you know music it's just the entire experience of the museum to to even consider that you or I fit in there somewhere 
is really em- empowering and moving yeah. for people. It's an amazing experience, man. I've taken my mom. That's my mom around there. I've taken her a couple times, and it's just... You have been oh, swearing shit. in front of your mom? No, <laughs> oh, please. Ah, she, I'm she, sorry. Yeah, no, we do right. things. Yeah, she taught me a few. She, yeah, so, yeah. so how much would you judge me if I said I have not been to the museum yet? Oh. Only, only a little. Only a little? Um, just because I, I do understand it's hard to get in. Mm-hmm. But now you have no excuse. So... I do have a child, so that's a little bit excuse me. And? A newborn. Congratulations. And? <laughs> we're going <Okay. laughs> to get there. No, I really want to do Someone told me that uh, I went to a small school in South Carolina College, and I don't know where at, but somewhere in the museum it mentions my mm-hmm. college. So I was like, oh, Claflin University? Yeah. Yep. So I was like, oh, yeah, I definitely want to go to that. So. Awesome. Well, now you, again, no excuse. I'm coming, man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm everyone's new best friend. Just that, like right. passes. <laughs> I think this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you. Absolutely, oh, it was awesome from beginning to end. <laughs> like the best. He's like, I love the uh, whole yeah, thing. Yeah, part. Oh, you missed it. We are going to be um, Joe to see. She is Dante. <laughs> I am uh, Jojo. Shannon, are you, do you want to speak, Casey? Well, who? I'm kind of chilling. You want to be Casey? I can, I can oh. maybe. Uh, you want Casey? No. What? So, Jodeci or mm. Fatty Coop? I have not necessarily agreed to this, by the way. <laughs> you don't remember Fatty, Fatty Coop? No, it wasn't no. Miguel and Fatty yeah. Coop? Yeah. Like wasn't that like the, um, it was like, like a BET show or something yeah, like that? Yeah, we're not doing that. Yeah, oh my God, wow. Nope. The fake Fatty making Coop. a band. Yeah. Fake right. making a band. So, no, but thank you for coming. Absolutely. Um, yes, thank you. How Happy people, to return. How can people um, get a hold of you? Like, where do you want to be? If you want that. If you want that. I am yeah. at Timothy Ann. Um, on on the social media uh, scene, it's um, same on Twitter and Instagram, and with an E. Easy to DMs are open. Send me a message. Oh, okay. Happy to DMs happy to chat. Okay, slide through. You know, I might not answer it if oh, you're a okay, little, no, you know, because no. it goes to that requested inbox. Oh, and so, you know. Right, so you get a, okay. um, but I'll give you I'll give you a chance. I'll give you a chance. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Anything else coming up you want to talk about or anything new? Um. Just a whole lot happening with the museum always. Um, I have a couple of really fun, um, I hope, uh, empowering and enlightening uh, projects with the Amy Poehler Smart Girls uh, website um, coming soon in the next few months. And, you know, uh, if you're in the museum or music or just general, like, nerd academic conference world, I've got a lot of um, conference things mm-hmm. um, in the works in Seattle I think that's and elsewhere. how I found out about you my friend Vienna sent me your information mm-hmm. and she was like yo you need to check this girl out she's amazing <laughs> I think she saw you at a conference or met you at something I don't even know yeah but I think that's how I figured out yeah it's it's a whole like scene of of um, I mean it's great like there the, there are so many different spaces now where museums are being included in the conversation where mm-hmm. traditionally it's like just academics or just you know journalists or whatever um, so to be able to be welcome at that party, I think I might be doing something at the Roots Picnic in June. Like you know, I'm, I'm generally was, around. I was I was talking to Nikki yesterday. She was asking, "Oh, yo, you guys going to Roots Picnic?" I was like, "I'm kind of spoiled from the last time we went." Yeah, yeah, we got thrown a good alley oop. Had like backstage access and all kind of stuff last time. Yeah, I was telling her I saw Solange and you know how amazing she was. Yeah. Yeah. Did you play video games? 
No, they didn't have any video games there, I don't think, did they? Oh, maybe they were VIP. Yeah, 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 we were, yeah. yeah. Just we just got free vitamin water, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's tier one yeah. VIP. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, no, I'm just generally around and happy to, um, you know, engage with folks and, and uh, you know, be available. Thank you so Absolutely. much. Absolutely. Thank you.